This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Welcome to this episode of Reimagine Law. And I'm delighted to be joined today by two guests, Paul Antonio, who's a consultant at Taylor Rose uh, Solicitors, Carter Lane. So you may hear Paul's just said to me, you may hear some Paul's chiming in the background as, as, he's, um, as, he, as he does the podcast with us today. So, Paul, great to have you uh, with us and thank you for your time. Paul's an expert in family law and also now does client client work as well. Um, but, Paul, great to have you with us. Thank you very much, Nigel. Um, and also uh, our second guest, Abigail Wadlow, who's one of our super final year law students here at Queen Mary. And Abigail is going to share her experiences for all of you listening who's thinking about this area of law. Abigail went on a placement last year for the academic year at a niche family law practice up in North London. So Abigail, great to have you with us and we look forward to hearing your reflections too. Thank you for having me. Well, let's kick off. Um, and Paul, perhaps if I come to you first, as I say, in on Reimagine Law this year, we're especially focusing on different areas of law where people might think about as a career. So today, as we've said, in your area of expertise for many years, this area of family law. So what kind of work does this involve? Okay, um, thanks, Nigel. Well, essentially, um, I've, I've practiced family law exclusively since 1998 when I qualified, and I kind of fell into the right. And what it really means is helping people in their family situations. So when I first started out, it was mainly dealing with divorce, sadly, divorce and separation where parties are not married. But it's a lot more than that, because often we, we do these days we're dealing with lots of unmarried couples, which is very, very common these days. So we help people when they're setting up their relationships, their, their living together arrangements. And one big part of my job is drafting cohabitation agreements where people now are inheriting a lot of wealth from parents. Uh, they're buying a property with their partner, um, but not planning to marry uh, at that point. So you end up having to protect those interests. Uh, and, you, and so a big part of my job is cohabitation agreements. I also um, help people with their, their child situations where when sadly there's separation involved, um, most parents nowadays will want to come to an agreement and that may involve some mediation work, which I also do. That's not a big part of my practice, um, used to be, but actually it's scaled back quite a lot now, I think due to cost, but mediation is a big part. And what that will hopefully lead to after a few sessions is that parties come to a parenting agreement, which you can embody into a, a document. Um, I also deal with other situations. I'll, I'll go through the whole lot. I mean, domestic abuse is one, sadly, which you know exists yeah, yeah. in society. We help protect people. Um, we deal with um, prenuptial agreements where people are they're moving on from living together to actually marrying, and again, they want to carry on that protection. So they'll they'll sometimes convert their cohabitation agreement into a prenup or just enter into a prenup. We have couples who have married without a prenup who then want to go back and say, well, actually, I want to protect my assets. So they'll look at having a postnuptial agreement. That's another thing, which is not, not so common, but I have drafted a few in my career, not as many as I've done prenups. So that, that's essentially the family law circuit. So it's so it's not always, thankfully, uh, you know, a, a sad situation. Sometimes it's a more positive one where people are just going into a relationship and trying to organise their arrangements, particularly if, if it's a second marriage, a second relationship where they, they've got their eyes wide open and they want to put play, um, you know, steps in place to protect themselves. Yeah. Um, but essentially, I, I see my job as really uh, guiding people through usually quite an emotional time. Uh, a big, big part of my job is supporting people and just being there to listen, guide them, steer them. You know, it's, it's quite a challenge, challenging role. No, and then, Abigail, I'll let you speak because I remember you and I have discussed your placement and some of the skills. I know we're later we're going to talk about skills. Paul, just on that, some of the things you mentioned there, when you think about things like family law, I guess, it, you know, society's habits have changed through time, haven't they? As you say, you know, yes. whether it's marriage or it's other types of 
cohabitation arrangements. Has the law changed a lot as well over that time too? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the, the one bit that hasn't changed, sadly, is, is the Matrimonial Causes Act, you know, which are the, the way that assets are divided on divorce. Sadly, that is very old. I mean, that dates back to 1970s, you know, to when I was a child. Oh, wow. So, OK. So that, that does need a revamp. And there is a big push from family lawyers. I think we, we want to see some change, really, to be more in line with Europe, where Europe, you have a more codified system and more, you know, you have a formula for dividing assets, whereas in English law, it's so wide. It's so discretionary, which is kind of why they call this the divorce capital of the world, London, because people can come here and actually th throw everything in and, you know, hope for the best. You know, it's, whereas if you go as close as Scotland, it's very different there. I don't, I'm not quite an expert on, on Scottish family law, but yeah. I'm aware they've got clear arrangement. When you the marriage ends, there's a formula in place, whereas we have a set of factors to consider. Yeah. And uh, no, because it's interesting You say all those different habits and, you know, you say the prenuptial, yeah. you know, which I, I yeah. suppose in, you know, I'm not young either and so i suppose i remember in the news that being much more a thing in the last 15 20 years or so probably and the prenups are still not actually enshrined in legislation again there is a push for that but they are very influential documents providing you you have two solicitors involved one for each party there's proper negotiations at arm's length you know that and they are very they're good documents to have and they're, they're very influential um so we recommend them to clients clients do say to me what well, are these enshrined in legislation and the answer is no but they are influential yeah, providing we follow a set of guidelines making sure that it's not signed the day before the marriage you've got to allow sufficient time for the parties to you know so it's not signed any, any sort of duress or you know any coercion um, very interesting now, the big change that came about actually was um in april 2022 when no fault divorce came in so before oh. that we had a situation where somebody wanted to get out of the marriage they had to show that the marriage had broken down irretrievably yeah. and support that by one of the five factors, which sadly, one of them was adultery, one was unreasonable behaviour, and there's some other ones. So that involved mudslinging. Now that's all gone. That's completely gone. Uh, okay. So yeah. um, now what you've got to do is show that the marriage has broken down irretrievably, and there's very limited scope to defend that. Which, you know, as an advocate myself of marriage as an institution, I find that quite sad that people can end their marriage so quickly, but it has taken away that whole, that whole need to throw everything in and to have to say things about the other party, which you know, it did cause a lot of friction. It drove costs very high. I mean, solicitors did very well out of it. That's a big part of my work, which has disappeared. I don't often get involved in issuing divorce applications, as they're now called, these be divorce petitions. But I, but I do get involved in helping people sort out their finances, their children, etc. So that's been a massive change, Nigel. I would say that, and that came that's interesting. Effect. Yeah. So that was uh, the Divorce, Dissolution, and Separation Act 2020, which came into force yeah, yeah, yeah. in April 2022. Yeah. yeah. And Paul, another word you mentioned, which strikes me from what you've literally just said there about perhaps having a more constructive approach or making it, and you say for partly for cost reasons as well, you mentioned the word mediation earlier on yeah. as well. And so could you just explain to listeners what, what's mediation all about? How does that fit into the process? Yeah. Well, me mediation actually it is it is kind of compulsory. You're not meant to issue a financial application without showing you've attempted uh, okay. mediation. There are exclusions okay. if, you, if it's domestic abuse and other situations. But mediation is essentially sitting down with a trained, trained mediator like myself. You know, mediators, by the way, can be solicitors or non-solicitors. It, it, sometimes you've got financial experts who are qualified in it. And essentially, you don't um, impose... Um, a decision on the parties but you guide them again so you're you're sitting down in a non-adversarial environment um you can have mediation with everyone in the same room together like the room i'm in today so i could i could sit with a married couple which i've done before with a spreadsheet and literally sit there and try and try and use my legal expertise to guide them as to what a court may do but without putting pressure on them uh, and helping them reach an agreement 
which yeah. can then be converted into a legally binding document. So, oh, okay. it, so, it, so it's um, so it's sorting out all the mess outside of the courtroom, if you like, you know, with an impartial person. That's very important. The mediator is impartial. So, if I'm acting for a couple in mediation and it doesn't succeed. I'm then not allowed to act for one of them individually because yeah. of the conflict there. I see. So in that situation where there's a couple, for example, or a, um, a partner and a spouse or however, yeah. you know, yeah. and the different situations there, it can't be that you were advising one person and then there's a mediation where no, because you no. can't be independent, so to speak. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly correct. Yeah. So yeah. I, not that as much mediation. I, th I think because there are some very good services that offer mediation exclusively. There are mediation. Okay. Firms. There's one in Bromley, for example, where I live, called the South East London Mediation Bureau. They offer a very cost-effective service because they—that's all they do. So I tend yeah. to send people there. But mediation is great, and it's um, it, it's it's difficult for people that can't be in the same room together. And in that case, you can do shuttle mediation where they're in separate rooms, and the mediator flits between the two. So that 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 can be better in in the sense that I, I guess the, the the client feels they're getting their time alone with the mediator. Yes, they're still impartial. And still has to follow the you know, the various guidelines to make sure yeah. there's no um, there's no breach there. Well, that's very interesting, as you say. Given as you say very, you used the word emotional earlier on, yeah. so these can be very highly charged situations, I suppose. Can't they? Yes. So make getting the environment right for these types of um, conversations and making that work it yeah. must be pretty critical. Yes, absolutely. And we and part of the training I did the training years ago for mediation. Part of it was even the way the room is set up. The way the people, the way you organise the, the table, what you have yeah. on the table, all these little things that I guess come from a therapeutic background, which we, you know, yep. as solicitors, we're not really trained on that side. So it's quite interesting when people talk about body language, how you sit, where you have things in the room, the box of tissues on the table, you know, things like that. So mm. it's quite, it's quite fascinating. When you, it's a very different uh, mindset to, to being a lawyer, where you're hiding behind your computer, sending out letters, emails, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure Abigail has been exposed to that working in a law firm. You know, well, I was going to say I was going to I was going to come to you, Abigail, yeah. now. And Paul, that's been that's been fascinating. I mean, and Abigail, I know um, you know you've mentioned to me because when for all of the listeners, uh, where when the students such as Abigail go go on the placements, they then come back and do a summary presentation at the end of the year, saying you know what they've been up to and and everything. And so Abigail, but you know, I'd, I'd love to hear some perspectives. You know, Paul's touched on a few areas there. How did you find family law? What was what was you know what did how did you find it? No, I really enjoyed it. Something that surprised me about family law is how varied it is. I think when okay. you think of family law, you think divorce, but there's so many other aspects of it, and that really opened my eyes. Um, and I enjoy talking to people and working with people, and I think in family law, you really get the opportunity to meet new people. I know we're going to touch on later about what you really enjoyed about the most, but I think for me, it was meeting so many different people from different backgrounds um, and getting to know what situations they're in and helping them get out of them. And something I really enjoyed. Yeah. No, I can imagine. And um, you know, and I think you said to me, Abigail, a bit like Paul's described some of the scenarios there where it might be a mediation room or or whatever. So were you sometimes in the office again, just to give the listeners a feel, you were sometimes in the office, sometimes we were was court involved at all? Did were you doing court visits, for example? Absolutely. Yeah. I think I went to court maybe once every two weeks. Um oh, wow. different okay. courts around yeah, yeah. as well. I think I went the Royal Courts of Justice a couple of times, which was really amazing um, to go yeah. to, but also other things, avenues that I didn't realise existed. So for like example, in the finances, you can have this thing called a private FDR. So um, you're not in a courtroom, you're in a barrister's chambers with the barristers representing, and there's no judge. It's a barrister sort of giving their legal opinion as if they were a judge. And that completely opened my eyes. And that was really exciting to sort of spend a day with these like really amazing barristers um, 
but yeah, no, every day was different for me. There was a lot of admin work, but that's obviously to be expected, like drafting court applications, bundles and things like that. Um, and also like getting the chance to like, if I'd been to a client meeting, the solicitor might say to me, oh, you, you, you were sat in the meeting, won't you draft the letter and things like that. I think in family law, there's a lot of scope for being able to have like responsibility and like to do things um, as well like that. Yeah. No, I mean, I remember it all struck me, you know, you were involved quite heavily, I suppose, because the teams were quite small as well. So you were yeah. getting quite stuck in, as you said, whether it was drafting letters or being the one going to court or managing. The, yeah. the barrister one uh, just 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 really intrigued me there, Abigail, because I don't think I've heard you speak about that before. So yeah. so that's it. What was what was that? An FDR, did you say? What was that? Yeah, um, it's a financial hearing. Um, oh, sorry. Right. Decide yeah. the settlements between the parties. And it would okay. be that sort of down the court process a little bit but they just hold one um it's a lot more expensive than obviously going to court so it was typically with clients with like larger um pots to pay but yeah it was really exciting because we'd each have a barrister and then uh, there'd be a barrister who was the judge um effectively and and yeah you'd get to go to council chambers which was just really cool in itself and just be there for the day that must be fascinating. So in a way, you know, Paul, I think you hinted at this a bit as well. So this idea that you say sometimes you're in a position where, yes, you're gone, you might be advising them, but some sometimes you're almost asked to step outside that persona and almost be neutral or be completely or a bit like your mediation example, I guess, Paul. But, you know, yes, that must yeah. be. Yeah. Sorry, Paul, please. Yeah. No, but, and the other thing I was going to say, actually, at private FDRs and Abigail, I'd love to have one of those. That's quite a new thing. And it's um, it's amazing. I mean, apart from the fact you're not in a courtroom, which I've heard is amazing because you're in this, you know, relaxed environment. It's far more because um, court, you know, the court is a court. It's a, it's a civil building, isn't it? Quite cold often. Whereas private FDR, I've heard the lunches are really amazing as well. Because <laughs> you, you, you're paying quite, you know, you're paying quite a high fee for it. So I think that environment is quite conducive for people to reach agreements more, more than the court sometimes. So that that's really good. But um, yeah, I mean, what you just said, Nigel. There, I mean, the other thing that's come about because of because of legal costs sadly a lot of people yeah, yeah. don't have access to justice and legal aid has been scaled yeah. back dramatically so i often i'm acting for one client you know miss, mrs blogs now the other party may be unrepresented so I, i'm having to interact with them ah. you know almost daily weekly they're not my client but i've got to kind of help them along with the process that's that makes sense. and i've got to be very careful not to advise them um but to obviously show a lot of respect which we're bound to do and yeah, also yeah. assist them with the process so that's a big change i've noticed in my career over the years Whereas in the 90s, you never had that because everyone could get legal aid. You, you, you rarely had a situation where one party was unrepresented. So that's a big part now. So I've got lots of files where I'm active for one party. The other, the other ones are acting. And they're almost both communicating me as, as frequently as each other. But I've got to be careful. You know, only one's my client. So that's... Um, that's a really tricky yeah. balance to strike, yeah. I think, isn't it? You know, as you say, game. It, it's so interesting talking about this because, you know, Abigail, the examples you've gave and Paul, those examples there and the mediation example, again, for all of you listening, you know, just thinking about the skill set that, you know, we can come on to that in a minute, but the skill set that you have where you almost need to be, you know, the emotional intelligence you need. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're absolutely right there, Nigel. I mean, emotional intelligence. I'd say if someone said, what do you need for a fam to be a good family lawyer? Is it, you know, to be a compassionate person, but a high EQ, I think, you know, it does really help. It really yeah, is. Yeah. Not yeah. so much. I wouldn't say it's the most academic. I mean, I, I don't want to undermine my area of law, but it, it's not an area where you're constantly you, you've got your head in law books. It's more yeah. about how you're dealing with people, and that's what attracted me to it. I'm quite happy to say that is. I'm not not such an academic. I'm. I'm. Yeah, yeah. I, I like practical things. I like yeah. helping people get solutions. I like to get people from A to B. You know, and um, and that's what family law is. It, that type of role. You know, yeah. you're dealing with couples, groups, of people where there's you're trying to help them through a 
a challenge, a problem, yeah. but actually, as you say, it's a process. You're trying to help people get to the other side yes. in a way that feels they've been heard, I suppose, feels that it's yes. fair and things like that. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. Abigail, you've given us a bit of a hint already. You know, we, we were thinking of another area of conversation around the day in the life or something. So, you know, you've mentioned about going to court. You mentioned about you were drafting. Anything else you'd like to add to that, Abigail, in terms of how your, your placement year developed? Yeah, um, almost every day I'd be in contact with council chambers, clerks, so contact them, trying to get council availability um, because it's family law, there's always court deadlines. We always had to have council booked in, um, so things like that. And also like get making a relationship with the clerks, like I'd ring them like nearly every day. Um, so that was really, really enjoyable. Um, oh, what else did I do? Oh, a lot of going to client meetings. And this yeah. is something that I've really enjoyed and I felt like I learned the most from about the law and just how to be a solicitor in general is sort of seeing how the solicitor will like ask the client questions and what advice they'd give based on what answers the um, client would give. And, and even though they were giving them advice, the solicitor was basically teaching me as well, in a sense, um, of, of telling me what, what, what to do um, and things like that. Fascinating. Yeah. No, thank you. Um... And Paula, just one thing before as we as we move on, we focused a lot on on family law. And you said the last couple of years you've you've expanded a little bit, and your own practice has moved on to include a little bit of private client work. Should we just briefly touch on that? Um, yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, so really, it's, when the pandemic hit, um, I, I was still working in an office in Bromley. We had um, you know, safe conditions, and um, there were so many inquiries during that period because of the, the fear and the situation that the world was in for people to create powers of attorney for example um a power of attorney is a document where you 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 donate your powers to somebody else so when you lose capacity they can make decisions and there was there was that wills were a big one people wanted wills because there was fear sadly a lot of people died and people wanted to feel prepared so being in an office in Bromley and I was one of the only ones in an office a lot of people working at home I had lots of those sorts of cries I thought, well well this is it's not family law but you're helping you're still helping families so I thought this is interesting I've been doing family law exclusively for 20 years you know what's to stop me from you know expanding my practice and touching on other areas which is quite new you know turning 50 I thought well, okay but you know you, you're never told to learn new tricks so so what happened was I am um, I was a partner in a firm in Bromley which um yeah which I I, I sort of thought well that came to its end so I joined the firm Taylor Rose where I'm at now and here you're allowed to practice two areas so you can have an expanded practice with some supervision obviously because private, private clients very new to me so so I'm now doing as well as I do my everyday family work i'm doing probate work um which is winding up uh, estates when people pass away i'm i'm doing death 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 planning for people uh, drafting their wills their powers of attorney change of name documents which i've always done really that's been a small part so yes yeah, so i'm now a family and private client lawyer which i think is great i mean so my day can be very rare I, I mean i could be i could be driving across london to do a home visit for somebody who's very ill too unwell to come to the office to to you know draft their will uh, or create their powers of attorney. Um, I could be coming to the office for client meetings in a bit of way Abigail would do. So it's um yeah, it's a very very day now. So I've, I've got a very mixed caseload, and it's quite and it has really. It, I mean, I've, I've always had a passion for law, but it's reignited it to a, a higher degree now, and I, it's really nice to be learning new things. Sometimes it's quite frightening because you think, oh, you may get a very complex estate that with lots of tax issues. So we have to draw in expertise oh, from yeah. accountants, yeah. tax specialists. Yeah. So I'm having to reach out to people, which um, you know, when you've been doing one area of law for so long, you kind of you rely on your own knowledge. But so that's yeah. that's been quite an eye opener. But um, no, I'm really enjoying it. So um, yeah, I don't think I'd ever go back to just 
practicing family. I'm not saying I'm not advocating Abigail should should you know you know <laughs> only said your career she should try two things, but um certainly focus on your family work because it's it's a very rewarding career. Yeah. But it but it's it, but it's it's nice to know. And this is this environment here at Taylor Rose. They do um they do advocate that they do say well actually if you want to work in two areas providing you've got the skills for it and you're well supervised it, you know it's encouraged here which is quite nice so I mean no quite... that's very good and 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 it makes perfect sense as well as you say that you need the expertise as you say yeah. to, whether it's the tax person or the, yes. yeah, yeah whoever it is you know if some you know about inheritance tax I suppose and all these yeah. other areas that people are going to be thinking yeah. about and the other things. thing is you're, you're constantly having to keep your eye on or, you know what's happening in parliament because there's always talk about inheritance tax I mean lately they were they were talking about perhaps even doing away with it altogether that would be interesting because if that ever disappeared that would be a big layer of work gone for private client lawyers <laughs> so you, you never know what's going to happen I mean we, we are kind of dictated to by the powers that be in particular what I mentioned earlier the divorce legislation that, that's taken a big chunk of work away because we're now longer get involved with that initial stage of a divorce you know we yeah, see yeah. people who have started the process online themselves and we, we take well, it I think it's a really interesting point, Bill, and, and listeners thinking about all the things you're picking up for the different episodes that we do. But one thing I've heard here, Paul, is almost an Abigail is this point of you need to understand how the bigger context and the things you may hear on the news, as you say, about, oh, the government's thinking of doing this, the government's thinking of doing that. How that then trickles down and impacts into different areas of law is very relevant here to what we're what we're talking about. Paul, is there anything else in terms of other skills you would say, I mean, Abigail, you mentioned already things like the court process and the deadline. So is there something here about project management, Paul, and actually being quite good on deadlines and things like that? Yeah, I'd say that that's an absolutely key thing, especially with, um, well, with private climate, for example, you've, where you've got a taxable estate, you've got to make sure you, you're in month six, you know, you've got six months before you start paying your tax. So you've got to be very mindful of the deadlines there. I mean, a big, a big thing I've noticed, there's been a real push away from paper generally in the world. Okay. But with probate work, having gone into probate, where you're dealing with very elderly people who come come to see you with big carrier bags of stuff, you know, so so I've kind of gone back to lots of paper. So organisation is a big one for me. You've got to be highly organised. I've gone back to a lot of paper files, especially for the probate work, where I'm having to organise things. Yeah, got a, you know, I've got a good admin assistant who helps me out. So having support is re really important. But yeah, and it's it's being able to manage people. Um, I find in family law and private client, people are very um, you know without undermining clients they, they they feel like they're you know you only have one client and that's them so yeah. they, want you, they want you to be available on demand so you've got to be very good at managing their expectations um if you can't if you haven't progressed to file you've got to tell them why you haven't and give them an expectation of when you will progress it so it's, it's just all about managing them and um by doing that you're you know you're maintaining that trust between you the line of communication and you know avoiding complaints which is something i pride myself on i mean I think most complaints solicitors get, and I think I might be able to confirm this, is when they don't hear from you, you know, or yeah. what's happening, you know, and when the client's constantly chasing you and getting no response. So that's the easiest way to encourage a complaint by not communicating. And costs, you've got to be very transparent about fees. Uh, okay. You know, yeah. that, that's, the, that's the other huge one. Paul, I hadn't thought about that. Is it? Does it tend to be an area of law where the fees are often fixed for a service you're providing, or is it often the time you spend? Or yeah, that's a good it, question, um, well, I'd say with with divorce work and the type that Abigail described with the F, private FDRs, that's usually on hourly rates. So you give okay. a, a good estimate at the beginning up yeah. to each different stage and you quote your hourly rate. But with the private client work I'm doing, it's almost all fixed fixed fees. Oh, so it? if I'm drafting yeah. a will, that's a fixed fee. Yeah. Um, if I'm doing a probate, it's usually a, a percentage of the estate unless the, the family wants to do it on hourly rates, which is sometimes a request. But that, that's exclusively fixed fees, I would say, private client, whereas family, mm -hmm. not so much. Having said that, 
when you're drafting a prenuptial or postnuptial, you can quote a fixed fee for that because once you've got the information of the of the assets, you can kind of get a gauge of how many hours you're going to spend on it. You can say, okay, this is the fixed fee for all the work up to and including yeah. the, the execution yeah. of the document. Yeah. So there's um, a little bit about there, as you say, about the estimating, about being yeah. commercially aware and managing the cost side of it as well. But, but you know, you really emphasize the communication there. Abigail, anything else? I mean, you've mentioned a number of skills already when you talked about, as you say, whether it was the client meetings and, and anything you'll add skills-wise. Yeah, um, in terms of what Paul was saying about talking to the client and making sure you've got updates, a large percentage of my day was spent on the phone to the court and finding that update and trying to get an answer because the courts are just so difficult to get through to and, yeah. and the clients often get frustrated and, and it's really important to give them an update on how their divorce is progressing. Um, so that was a large part. But I think in terms of skills, empathy was something that I felt I really needed, um, especially when going to court and being in a room with a client and often the barrister would be off negotiating or we'd be waiting for judgment and I would be sat in a room with a client and I'd have to not just empathy and being able to put yourself in their position and, and know how they're feeling, but also that social intelligence and how to create like small talk and sort of be in the room with a client and keep the conversation flowing. And I think something that really helped me was before going to any meetings or hearing to like fully brief yourself in the case because I think being able to show the client that I knew their case and it sounds silly but they, you'd say oh, how many children have you got if you ask them that that's ridiculous you're you're from their solicitors so like just to make sure that you knew their case and felt like you was fully on their side I think that was something that was really important so there's something there I mean the last point is you say Abigail I can imagine the the point around preparation there and being well prepared Definitely. and Paul you mentioned all the files as well you know yes. so actually being well prepared and knowing the brief really yeah. well becomes pretty critical I guess yeah but I love Abigail's point about know your client that's so key I mean I'd love to work with someone like you Abigail you sound like uh, the ideal trainee <laughs> <laughs> yeah because because uh, you, you like Abigail said you can spend when you go to court you can spend a lot of time in a little side room like this just waiting because sometimes right. the court hearing might be 20 minutes but you'll be there all day waiting to go in wow so you've got to yeah. you spend a lot of, and often when I when I go to court I'll take a trainee with me and they'll sit there with the client and often you'll leave them there so if you've got a trainee who's shy or not very talkative, it can be very painful for everyone in the room. So, so like Abigail says, it's really good to know your client, be able to spark up conversation, show you, show you're interested in the client, you know, and um, yeah, that can be really helpful. And I've often had clients who've reported back and said, oh, you know, your trainee was really helpful, you know, yeah. just, just being there to reassure them and know their file, it really yeah, yeah. does help. Yeah, because yeah, they're part of the legal team. That's the that's absolutely, the you know, and you know, as you said, Abigail, with your experience, you know, you were often quite hands on. There was like one or two of you, or you would be the one actually leading a, yeah. you know, some of the discussions <laughs> with, the, yeah. you know, liaising with the barristers, liaising with the court. Yeah. Mm. I think something that I really enjoyed about being in that side room with the clients is because you got to meet some really interesting people and then yeah. like really spend time with them. So like successful business people or, or just people in like who just have very ordinary lives, just learning a lot from them. I think that was really something that I enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, that connecting on a human level is quite, mm. you know, is, is uh, you know, I think one of the the rewarding things about the solicitor career in some areas. But it always strikes me. I remember Abigail, your presentation at the end of your placement last year, and you really emphasised this point around how you'd realised very early on this this empathy need and pull the what you've said as well yeah. was mission critical in kind of family law as well. That the emotional intelligence point, yes. as you say, because yeah, it's just a it's just a tricky time for often you're interacting with. An individual or with a couple or whatever so yes yeah um yeah and the other and yeah that, that's really well said Nigel. and I, what i would say in that and this is something um family we put out there to to clients 
is that we are not we're not therapists we're there to support them but we have right. to make them aware that we're we're quite an expensive therapist because some clients will want to ring you a lot just for support and that's where you have to gently steer well you know happy to do that but you gently steer them towards professional services because often we, we haven't got the skills to support yeah, them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You know, completely yeah. and that's a big part and i've seen lots of um um, you know, when you see these self-help guides to divorce, which are really good, actually, they're written by often by lawyers for clients. And they yeah. do say in there, you know, your solicitor will be an expensive therapist. Think about getting divorce coaching. That's another big okay. area that, that's evolving. Okay. I've, I've, never, I've never referred someone to a divorce coach, but um, I often get emails from divorce coaches saying, can we come and give a presentation and we'll that's tell you what we offer? Because, you know, that's a new little spin-off career, if you like. You can become a divorce coach where you, where you sit alongside your client and help them, you know, in their relationship with their solicitor. So um, I don't know if Abigail's ever come across a divorce coach in your practice at all. Yeah, no, we, I think we had one on the other side once yeah. and, it, and they just kept saying, I'm not a lawyer, I can't do anything. Yeah. It was trying to get the boundary between the coach and the solicitor yes. kind of yeah. for them. It's, it's like having a personal trainer, isn't it? On, on the yeah. side, so going to sort of stand alongside you, almost be your, your, your friend in the process, you know. Yeah. Which, you know, some solicitors will offer that role and some clients are happy to pay for it, but you've got to remind them, especially if they're paying hourly rates, you know, yeah. You'd be on the phone for half an hour discussing how bad the weekend was with your children. Like, <laughs> we'll charge you for that half. You know, that, 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 that's the situation. Yeah. Harsh yeah, yeah. It is a business. You know, that's the. Yeah. That's a good point. And, and that point about boundaries a really, really important one, Paul. So I remember when I, not divorce coach, but when I did my training to be an executive coach. So, you know, to coach leaders and stuff like that. I remember one of the core bits of training early on was this thing of where your boundaries are in the sense yes. of between coaching and therapy, for example, yes. and say, and when sometimes you had the initial conversation with someone to see if you wanted to work, they wanted to work with you, it was absolutely part of the conversation to think, okay, from what you're saying to me, do you know what? Actually, I think you're beyond where I'm qualified to actually yes. help you. You know, and you had to, there was one of the things we had to be really careful. Yeah. We have to be really careful. It's our limitations, isn't it? Really, exactly. in our own careers, yeah. Which is really good. Yeah. And also, you mentioned boundaries. I mean, I'm very bad for this, but is responding to emails outside of office hours. I mean, that's another facet of family law unfortunately people will message you and I, I tend to use my mobile quite a lot so yeah. I will often get texts at the weekends and which I try and I do respond to but that's something I'd say to younger people going into this career you know because I, I know the younger generation are very good at you know segregating their time between home you know keeping that balance which maybe my generation is not so good at so that's that's something to be mindful of you can easily allow clients to spill over into your your own yeah. private time because of what they're going through you know yeah um, well and because it's a very personal thing you're helping them with as well it's yes. almost you're right it's almost like a a, a work thing but it's yeah. also such a personal thing as yes. well for them yeah as well so it's almost it's natural that it it's there 24 7 yeah at that time yeah. isn't it you know and particularly when i was a, a law firm in bromley for so many years and i live in beckenham so i was always a, so you often see some clients when you're out and about the weekend <laughs> and inevitably you've got to speak to them about their files so it's, yeah so it's an interesting one and it, it's part of what you know it, it's not something that puts me off the area of law because I, I don't mind that. I like people I'm a people person that's another I think factor you need to have you know when you're a family lawyer but it's just being mindful that it is something that kind of you know and it, you know, having said that you may even see the other side of a case which can <laughs> you know yeah, you can, yeah, yeah. You can work in the same area whereas now I haven't got that issue so much because I'm in London and I still live in Beckenham so it's uh, <laughs> so I've you can escape a bit more of a divide now yeah yeah a bit more of a divide um Abigail that's a good point actually because for thinking of the listeners and people thinking about um and thinking about the area of law that you know that you experienced for a year on on the placement i mean what were your observations on things like work-life balance and how the office seemed to operate and things like that in the practice 
I mean, I've never really worked, I've never worked with commercial law or anything like that. So for me, I kind of went in thinking that it was a lot less like pressurised and in mm-hmm. the sense of you're not working as long hours. And I think, obviously, solicitors do put in the hours if they've got sure. a difficult case, you have to. But I think from hearing from other experiences, I think family law is a lot better in terms of work-life balance. And I think that is one of the reasons why I've sort of been more attracted to it. Um, but don't get me wrong, like you do still have to put hours in if there's a complex oh, no, case. Yeah. Um, but I think it is generally better. But then again, there is important deadlines. And I found that the court deadlines were if there was something that needed to be done by tomorrow, we ha- had to stay late. Or if we was in court the next day, I might have to log on and just do like a little bit or something. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, but I think that's to be expected in law. Yeah, no, completely. Very good. Well, I'm conscious, I'm conscious of time. So Sassy, I'm sure, will be on to telling me soon. It will be time for us to wrap up. But uh, um, Paul, any any final thoughts? I mean, I think you probably covered the last area we were going to talk about was almost what you enjoy. And you've talked a lot about yeah. how rewarding you find different areas. Paul, anything just to add or wrap up on or from your side? Uh, no, it's just so it's so interesting to be in an area of law that's constantly evolving. And it's quite exciting. You know, yeah. I mean, in the future you know, in terms of prenuptials is one that a lot of us have our own. We're really keen to see these progress further. Yeah. You know, as unromantic as they are, I think what they will do is help, especially we're now living in an age where lots of people are, in, you know, there's a lot of wealth around, people inheriting yeah. money. So a lot of protection in place. I think it'd be really good to have some clarity with prenuptial agreements. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, and Paul, just on that point, does the clarity need to come almost at a governmental legislative yes, level? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have case law, which which helps us. But really, to go that step further, it'd be, it'd be fantastic okay. to have some legislation on it. That'd yeah. be great. With powers of attorney, I'm not quite up to date, what, but I know there's going to be a big change with those two. Because the thing with powers of attorney, and I'm doing loads of those at the minute for elderly people. And sadly, some I've had one client earlier this year, Maltese chap, and he passed away while he was waiting for it to be processed. So oh, really? yeah, there's yeah. such a delay. So the point there is, there needs to be a lot of tidying up with some of the some of the systems that we have. Um, Abigail yeah. touched earlier under the court taking so long. I mean, part of our job is managing the clients' expectations because the courts are absolutely inundated. They're still catching yeah. up. They're still blaming COVID for mm-hmm. delays, aren't they, Abigail? Yeah. They're still blaming that. People working at home is causing delays for the systems we're working with. So, um, yeah, so, so my thing, I, I just think it needs to be a real something needs to change to make things a bit more dynamic, as they yeah. used to be, I think. So things are more streamlined and the clients feel they're getting their you know, they, they're satisfied yeah. and things have been yeah, dealt yeah. more, more quickly. No, thank you, Paul. Um, yeah. And Abigail, any any final thoughts from yourself? Any final reflections on the placement or um, we talked about skills, we talked about day in the life or, or what you enjoyed? I think you've covered it, but any, any final thoughts yeah. you'd like to add? I think um, just in terms of like, I've been to a few like law firm openings and things and they say like, don't just say you like family law because you like working with people. And I think, although that's a massive part, but then like, mm. if you go into working in, areas law where it's businesses they're made up of people so I think if you're applying in family law I think maybe just to show the other things like empathy as well just to help yourself because like businesses made up of people like it's natural but I think it's so different in family law because it's their personal lives and I think that's the difference yeah and and Abigail I think from memory as as well I know you did that in your third year the placement but I think also you would very much enjoyed and, and done really well at the, you worked at the Legal Advice Centre we have as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did the module in it, yeah. Yeah, which again is about, you know, so the practice of working with clients again and often in quite tricky situations for them. And um, obviously it's something mm. that you excel at. So I think that whole area of, as you say, the empathy, the the relationship building is, is, is obviously, it must be a big thing, as you say. I mean, it's an interesting point you say. They said, you know, the firm might say, oh, don't just think of it because... But mm. it's, I'm, I've been struck by both of you of how practical 
and relational this area of law yeah. is in the sense of you know not surprised because it's often about a relationship yeah. that mm. you're that you're advising on i suppose yeah, but absolutely yeah when i did my training seats back in the 90s and i did it i, I you know started off in uh, commercial property then conveyancing and then i got to family i thought and as a trainee you get thrown in so you're, <laughs> you're literally you're meeting a client like abigail you're, you're taking a statement down and then you're doing the work which is great yeah, yeah. So you really get thrown in it's, it's very very practical very, very related you get you get involved from the start and i think a lot of trainees do say that when they do a, a seat in family they feel like they really get involved in the work rather than just overseeing what, what their supervisor is doing so i'd recommend it as a training seat for anybody who's con considering a career because you can really get stuck in from, from the get-go fantastic thank you definitely just one more thing yeah, um, i hadn't i hadn't studied family law before i did my placement okay. so i went in completely i'd done the family um like i completed the family case at the legal advice center but i'd never actually studied it so i had like a, a file just to learn some basic things but other than that i went in completely like in the unknown <laughs> but that shocked me of how how practical it was and especially yeah. on the children's side yes. of things that it's it's using like your practical like practical yeah. solutions and what you think then yeah <laughs> fascinating no thank you well wow that, that's been an amazing amazingly rich discussion around this whole area of family law and as you say paul the way private yeah. client links into that as well so thank thank you both so much for that thank you Lis listeners we hope you've you we hope you've found that another um, interesting insight into a, a completely different area of law that we've never covered on the podcast before. So, Paul, it's been a pleasure to have you with us now, Abigail. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. No, thanks for your time. And uh, and yeah, listeners, what we'll do as usual is we'll do a summary of the show notes, as we call them, and put them on with a few notes about the episode and a couple of links just to give you some information and ideas. And yeah, and, li and listen in to another episode of Reimagine All Soon. Thanks very much, everyone. <laughs>